Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name is Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. To that end we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. One to help you write more, two to help you write better and three to help you be a little bit happier as you do those former two things. So basically on the show, sometimes it's just me chatting at you Sometimes it's me looking at listeners' first pages of their stories or novels and suggesting a few ways that I think they could be made even better. And sometimes it's me chatting to writers of uh, various stripes uh, and asking them about making stories and making art and making cool stuff with words, how they do it. Just like chewing the fat, really. Like I, I, I was sort of going to try and give it a slightly grander purpose like so you can find and actually that's not true I do it because I enjoy it I do it for me I do it because I love talking to writers I do it because it's just really it's just a really nice excuse like as writers we don't really have a water cooler we can't like kind of gather and talk shop uh naturally we don't have that in our work environment except you know when you do the performance circuit you sometimes have like a little green room or backstage or the table that all the performers gather at um and today's episode is me chatting to the uh poet uh writer and educator i don't think you know he reminds me adding that in um mark grist uh he you may have you may know some of his stuff from uh like stuff he's put out on youtube he started out as a teacher and then he made a an unusual pivot into rap battling that video he did where he battled a an mc called blizzard went viral and we talk a little bit about that but he's also a performance poet and he put out some of his performance poems and a lot of them are available online as well and people have shared them as well and me and mark have done a lot of gigs together either just being on the same bill because like in the uk you know there's a certain there's a performance poetry scene and as soon as you start performing solo you end up hanging out with lots of other lovely i want to say lovely sounds like i'm being condescending to call my sort of like fellow my peers lovely it sounds like i'm saying that they're not talented or something i don't mean that i just think i i like and get on with an awful lot of performance poets in the UK. I'd really enjoy hanging around with them. Um, and Mark was one of those people, but we've also done a lot of gigs together up at the Edinburgh Festival and touring. And so we just talk about the art of performance poetry and how he writes a poem and talk about ideas about audience and who you're writing a piece for. And when you write a poem, what's it supposed to do? Like, some kind of like in in many ways like very very basic kind of questions about what assumptions we're making when we, we write a poem and we swap some stories of worst gigs ever and uh it's and we talk a little bit about the difference between kind of like success in heavy inverted commas and failure and how those affect you when you're writing and it, I just had a, a really good chat with him. Um, if I've put in the show notes links to uh, his Facebook page and his Twitter handle and stuff like that, 
if you want to go and check him out at the, at the time of recording he's doing live uh teaching live lessons i think he's stage one to four um like live creative writing lessons and doing some for adults as well i think but you can go on his facebook page and um check it all out there and the timings for that uh that's about it really i've got to say about this i don't think it needs any me to kind of gild the lily paint legs on the snake any more than that except that i enjoyed chatting to him and i think you'll get a lot out of it because we actually just kind of like go go down into real kind of like crunchy detail on what what we're doing when we're writing right like who we're talking to and what we're trying to say um I think sometimes like in, in kind of conversations about creative writing, we can kind of assume everyone understands the basics, like the basics of being kind of established and there's no more discussion to be had on those topics, right? We just go, oh, like everyone knows what a poem is and why you'd write one. So let's talk about how you do enjambement or something like that. Or we talk about writing stories and we go, we know, we know what a story is and why you write it. So let's talk about, you know, chapter titles or something like that. And actually so much of the fundamentals is not uh, we have we don't know about them right we just kind of assume we do and everyone we all nod at each other like we get it because we don't want to be exposed as as prats for for maybe still going what what is a story what is a poem and i think that's what i really do enjoy about checking out with mark is i can ask him like the dumb questions basically and he um he he doesn't doesn't treat people like idiots for asking basic questions because actually those basic questions are some of the hardest ones to answer and he does a really good job of kind of like drilling down into like why why you write and what you're doing and wh who your audience is and how you connect with stuff so i think and, and i think that applies whether you write poetry whether you write prose fiction anything like that i think it's really 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 useful so um aside from that and there's the links where you can go and check his stuff out uh if you like the podcast don't forget that there's always uh links to my two novels the honors and the ice house i don't do too much of a kind of spiel for them and why i think you you should get them except that i'm a full-time author so what allows me to record this podcast and keep working is people buying books so if you be prepared to go and do that and give yourself something to read then you can follow the links in the show notes and if you like the podcast it's not sponsored by anyone so um it's entirely funded by listeners chipping in so uh, there's a link to my coffee page ko-fi.com forward slash tim clare you can go there and drop me a few beans to help me keep the lights on help with my hosting costs um you can even go and put on like a you know a repeated uh sort of monthly uh, donation if you want to if you want to help support the show that way either of those things would be super what well, you don't get anything for doing it i should say like it, it i i don't put none of my content is behind a paywall there's no secret uh subscriber goodies uh i want stuff to be free for everyone so you don't, you, you don't get anything out of it except my gratitude um and if you're prepared to help then thank you very much uh that's it really okay so this is my chat with the uh poet and writer mark grist i hope naturally 
you enjoy it. I think you will. The first question I wanted to ask, Mark, is what's the first story you can remember telling? Uh, like one of the first stories that you can remember writing or coming up with or saying to someone. I remember when I was at primary school, um, uh, there was a poem, Albert and the Lion, and I read that. It's just this little funny story uh, about this boy who gets eaten by a lion. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And I spent about a week sat at home copying the the rhythm of that poem and the kind of rhyme structure. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't, re- I didn't really know any of the techniques really or what I was doing. I just liked the rhythm and the sound of the words and I wanted to try and see if I could get the same sounds to fit in the same kind of places. Uh, and I wrote a poem called The Argly Woo, uh, <laughs> which was really, yeah. which is fun. Um, uh yeah and i kind of uh i read that out and uh i think i think my teacher was kind of surprised because i think that she was quite unused to maybe kids going away and and writing um it's quite a long poem uh this whole story about this 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 weird creature uh and so i don't think she really knew what to do about it um because it wasn't like it was anything I'd been asked to do, and I got into that as quite a hobbit, uh, quite a habit. My my parents used to have an old kind of like BBC computer, and I would just spend um, most evenings trying to write these kind of comedy uh, poems, um, normally to make my mates laugh, uh, but but uh, kind of following these kind of rhythms and stuff. Um, yeah, I find it really good fun. Um, Is Albert and the Lion the one where the kid gets? The kid with the, at the zoo goes to yeah, the zoo. Yeah, with the horse, with the the lion, and then he gets eaten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I loved it. I remember reading it, and and, and a lot of poems um, like that. Uh, I was really into them, and I remember I started writing a bunch of like jokey detective poems, uh, just just all kind of like silly plays on words and uh, very rhymy things. I, I remember the first four lines of the Ugly Woo was. Um, Many people tell stories of monsters and beasts, of knights killing dragons and glorious feasts, of vampires and werewolves and sea monsters too, but none were as bad as the Argly Woo. Yeah, I remember I remember that's That's pretty good. Yeah. Man. That's that's that was, a, that was in like uh yeah, that was in like year five, I think. And like um I I enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed I enjoyed but I didn't really understand any of the techniques that I was using and I probably I, if I'm being honest, still I'm always surprised by things that I can learn about writing. Um, I think my dad was. Uh, I grew up in the Shetland Islands, and my dad was um, a fiddle player. And um, for a start, when I grew up, there were only um, my year group was the largest year group on the island. Right, the whole 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 island. My year group was five kids, and that was the largest year group. The year below me was one boy. <laughs> so so we had four year groups in the same classroom taught by the same teacher and it was mostly kind of textbook kind of stuff and she would go around and make sure everyone was doing their their stuff but you were given a lot of license to just if you kind of just wanted to do something you got to do it um and I think very much like uh my dad played the fiddle and a lot of guys played the fiddle and I think they they saw music in the same way that maybe they saw education which is kind of like you just a lot of them couldn't read music a lot of them couldn't learn a lot of the kind of technical terms but they just played with it a lot uh and it was kind of something that um my dad could always hear any tune and just 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 play along within seconds um and work it out um but he could never like read music and stuff and i always felt a bit that's probably what i was like with um 
with poetry really like I, I kind of like just started making it without knowing the rules what were your thoughts on like the advantages and disadvantages of like sorry this is like fra- framing a very personal sort of anecdote in the most <laughs> <laughs> in the most anodyne like technical terms but like because sometimes when you the way you sort of talk about it i, I kind of like detecting like a, a slight note of um of like digging your toe into the carpet like oh, oh like i don't i don't have formal oh. training as a poet as if there's like poet academy, oh yeah okay i'm just interested in, yeah. yeah oh no i get what you're saying i i guess um I guess that I just it's something I've always thought about. I get um so uh, my my dad passed away like in the summer and so I've just been thinking a lot about his art and like what where it comes from and I guess I've kind of been drawing these connections with it. Um I feel pretty authorized I'd say. Like I I'm quite happy uh with how I've done. It. I, I I know what you mean in the way that I've kind of worded it there, but I suppose I've um uh I I don't know like I kind of I suppose I see a lot of my writing though as being kind of like writing lyrics. I I see it as like um more like music than I do language sometimes. I don't know. Um I guess that's kind of uh well I I guess cuz I remember like 11 years ago now I was doing this I think I've probably told you about this before but I was doing this I went for 2 months I decided I was going to go away and do a different at least one open mic yeah, I remember. every night I remember yeah for two months <laughs> and I booked and I booked it and I I started and I didn't really know I think like with all of these things where you set yourself a challenge you don't know what you're getting into and it did it did cha- I mean it did change my life but like I ended up so I at the work the what you, you were talking about reminded me of was I I ended up going all the way down to Cornwall to Lands to Lands End, I think it was, to do. No, it was Penzance. I went down to. I did. I did a an open mic in Penzance, and I travelled down there, and I. It was during the second month, and I just. I'd just been dumped, and I turned up, and I went and I booked myself into, I booked myself into a B and B, and I remember being really. I, I suddenly thought, like, maybe I look really depressed. I, I worried. I, I, I started beaming to the person behind the counter because I worried, oh, maybe they think I've come to, like, Penzance yeah. to kind of, like... That would have made them feel really the comfortable, I'm sure, as well. That would have been... <laughs> I know, grinning manically, <laughs> going, I'm really happy. I'm not, I'm here to do an... I'm here to read poetry. So I ended up going to this, like, little open mic night where there was three people, and there was one guy there who brought a violin... And he said he played entirely by, he played by ear, but also he only did improvising. And he would just, he talked, he talked about like taking a tune for a walk. And the reason I was reminded of him and he did these amazing, beautiful improvisations was that he was very much of the opinion, like you can train and learn the kind of magic out of creation. Like you can, you can kind of, formal training can kind of beat it out of you that ability to he talked about the kind of policeman in your head and I just wondered like where you fall on that spectrum between kind of like let the art be free um yeah and and learning like moves basically and technical terms for stuff I think it's really useful to to learn the rules I mean I suppose like 
I studied poetry at university. I became an English teacher. Like I've spent a lot of time teaching kids technical approach to writing. Um, and I've kind of changed. I've veered off of that at points, and I've kind of taken different approaches when working with them. I, I think, um, honestly, like I, I, I personally, I, I grew up in. My dad was a Morris dancer and a fiddle player, and we were in a very lived in a very rural community, and, and it was very much um, you. You stand up and do a turn. Right? That was that was really social gatherings. You stand up and you do a turn, and it was really just about kind of connecting with the room and offering something. And it was a very warm, like welcoming kind of place. So I, I kind of, um, I've kind of grown up with 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 an idea. That's what I, excites me about about spoken word or like poetry and performance is um, is that idea of kind of like taking a room on a journey, like connecting with an audience. That's always been my what I find fascinating about it is 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 how you you try and build that connection with an audience, and you can you can play with that through a through a set with different pieces. Um, and I, I definitely think there's like a lot you can learn. Like I've studied for a long time and I've, I've taught a lot of people with in workshops and different things like that as well. Um, but I, I do also, I would say there's like part of me at, at heart, if I was kind of um, in D and D, if I was uh, my alignment, I, I, I'd like to think is good. But I'd like, I think it's probably quite far towards chaotic. I think, um, I'm certainly not. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think my approach is very kind of structured or, or lawful. Like I like the, I like to see myself as a bit of a bard, to be honest, kind of wandering around, just um, popping up anywhere um, and 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 seeing what what I can come up with. I think that's why I enjoyed the rap battling a bit and um, and poetry as well, and um, and just going to different spaces and trying different things. Can we can we talk a little bit about how you? made the jump from uh how you actually got into doing writing and performing as a as a thing and i know yeah. like it's always I'm, I'm always i'm always like a bit tentative about framing it like that because it's like it sometimes sounds like i'm being dismissive like up until then uh, up until the point where someone can make their living from it you're just farting around and then <laughs> it only becomes real when you commit to it but like i suppose the where it becomes this thing that you are or maybe we can just talk about like just the build-up to that like because obviously there's times when you're writing right from when you're a kid but what's how did how did you make the jump into actually being like a poet it's been a long process i think um i i i, I gave a tedx talk in Cluj recently um where i kind of talked about that the, the latter stage of the journey um because i i got married um just a few years ago and when i got married um, I put poet on my marriage certificate and I, I was, I was not sure about doing it. And, and I, I wasn't sure if I was authorized to do it. Um, but I've, I'm now approaching 10 years of, I guess, being a freelance writer and performer. And, um, and I, I, I think when I started writing poetry, I think that the, the, the label of poet was the thing that was seen most intimidating. I, I just liked writing things. And I, I started an open mic night in Peterborough, because um, I'd moved to Peterborough because there wasn't much going on with some friends. Um, we kind of ran that for 10 years just in a pub. We'd kind of stand up and read poems that we liked at first. And then over time, we got the courage to write our own things. And it turned out that some of the things I, I wrote, people enjoyed. And, and, and bit by bit, I got kind of offered more and more 
work and kind of bookings off of it. And um, I remember I got asked to support Murray Lachlan Young on a tour that he was going on. And my head teacher, because I was teaching full time at the time, my head teacher was wicked. Uh, he, he gave me um, unpaid leave to go out and do these dates. Um, and his attitude was it was really cool. He, he got he had some pub- poetry published back back in the day in a couple of magazines. And so he, um, he he used to show me the clippings and stuff. And he he, um, <laughs> yeah, he was he was really cool, though. He was like, look, if you had a teacher who was a PE teacher and he pl- they played for like, um, you know, a, a, a local side or a national side, you would try and support that because that would show the. The, you know, the, the students get the benefit of having someone that, that works at that level and to have you go and do this, absolutely wanting to do it. And it was like, cool. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, but it really hit a point where I, 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 could, I couldn't do both. It was it was really starting to be tricky to kind of balance them both out. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, at the time, um, I had no like I still don't have any kids, but I had no kids. I had no kind of major responsibilities. I had a bit of credit card debt, but um, but I figured, why not? I'll take it. He was very kind. He offered me a year out in the end, um, um, and I could come back, uh, you know, keep the job open, which is um, which is a, an amazing opportunity. Um, uh, I'm really kind of him, and so I and he actually said he said if you succeed, we'll be really proud of you. If you fail, um, come back like a, a failed. English teacher, uh, failed poet is, is kind of an interesting character to have in the English department. So, um, <laughs> so I did. I, I, I hand in my. Not, I imagine not an entirely unusual character <laughs> probably, in the English prob- department. Prob- probably not. I, no, I don't know. But like, um, yeah, it was cool. Um, I, I handed in the notice. Um, I was ahead a year back then and ahead of two year groups. And the next stage was really assistant headship. Um, and I enjoyed teaching a lot. I really, I, I think I was probably pretty good at it. Um, but uh, I figured, why not give it a go? Like I could, I could, I could try it out. Um, so yeah, I, I I tried to set up a framework. I went to complete a, a master's in creative writing at Goldsmiths um, over the course of the year, and I thought at least I have that. Um, and so I kind of left with no income and tried to work out what it meant to be a, a poet, um, like a working gigging poet. Um, uh, turns out the money's very different. <laughs> um yeah that was that was really hard um yeah i I remember did i tell you this like is this interesting i don't know yeah no no go on i'd love to i i'm 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 just no i'm i'm hearing it and i'm just um i'm 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 with you i just it it just makes me it just i i just don't know who can't hear this and and sort of not not be kind of like behind you, right? Because you've done the kind of hero's journey. You've finished like act one in that like you leave the Shire <laughs> and you do something that means you sort of at some stage can't go back. Yeah. And that's when the adventure yeah, begins, yeah. right? You set off yeah. and then act one ends when you yeah. do something that means you can't return, that life will never I, And I kind of did do that because I started rap battling and that when that went viral, I was like, oh, I probably can't teach anymore because I said so many like offensive things in these rap battles. So, so I, I left and I'd been enjoying all this um, writing and performing and it, it was really interesting, but suddenly I was realizing I was having to get money. And I think my bills back then were about a thousand pound a month, you know, just for my mortgage and, and, uh, and other stuff. And um, I remember the first month I made 550 pounds, like I worked flat out and, and uh, I started freaking out and I kind of, I, I changed everything to, you know, like, tesco's value kind of like labels on everything i stopped going out to the pub with my mates 
you know, on a Friday because I felt embarrassed because I knew I wouldn't be able to buy them, get around in and stuff. And I just stayed in. It was funny how how much check, like downgrading things you get from a supermarket can like change your self-worth and how you feel. But I really started to feel like I was failing uh, as well at something when I, I was quite a young teacher. And I think my parents are very proud of me for doing that. Uh, and, and, and now it seemed like I could. Like also when you're a teacher, like it's pretty like you're like a very minor celebrity of sorts. Like kids care about little things you do. Like you get a haircut, it's a big deal. If you see you park, park in your car, like like outside the supermarket, that's a story that they'll tell you about the next day. Like it means something. And suddenly you're like, oh, I can stay in bed for hours. No one really cares. Nothing really matters anymore. Um, so it was really tough. And I was really not sure about what I was doing. Um, but I worked twice as hard in the second month. And I went flat out, tried to hit up every contact. And I remember at the end of the month, um i'd made 350 pounds and, and and i was really freaking out by then um and i wasn't sure what i was gonna do um so i i yeah i just i threw myself into like anything and one thing that that suggested was kind of doing rap battles um and also i was starting to become aware that like, you should this was like this is like nearly a decade ago now and uh and so I, uh, yeah, I kind of made some videos of stuff and I kind of went and competed in like a rap battle in London against a guy called Blizzard. Um, it went up online. It, it, it went viral. Um, over, overnight, it, it, it shot up. It ended up becoming the most viewed UK rap battle of all time, which was kind of crazy. Um, and it, I think it's got about like five million views. And, and, and then people started asking me to go and kind of battle in other countries and uh, end up going up to like... Um, the Philippines in the end and battling this guy, Looney, the, the king of rhyme. And the whole time, um, it was really quite scary and quite stressful, uh, but also really surreal because suddenly um, it it shot from being, uh, there was nothing really like going on to suddenly like loads of people were really interested in talking to me. Like, yeah, it was some really weird stuff. I ended up getting called in at one point to film four and they, they said they wanted to make a, mo a feature film about me having a rap battle with Eminem. That was the weirdest part. Um, and that was about six weeks after the, <laughs> I was like really like not sure what I was doing. Um, uh, and uh, yeah. And so then, um, yeah, I just kind of, uh, I, I, I kind of learned to kind of let that simmer down. I found that quite difficult because it was so noisy. Um, but then kind of like, you know, just started, kept, kept writing, kept putting stuff out. I kind of realized that there's, for me that year, I, I really felt like I went from these kind of boom and bust of like it being really h hard. And then suddenly everything was really noisy. And it was, it was as stressful when it was noisy to like, st I was going to say like neither of those things seem good, right? Oh, no, it wasn't great. <laughs> I remember like, uh, my wife, Lucy was like, at the time we'd sit in, you'd go out for a meal and you'd, you'd get like 70,000 views on something while you're having dinner and everyone's commenting. And I was very raw at the time to, to YouTube comments and things like that. And I, I remember I was checking my phone all the way throughout the meal and she like, she, she gave me such a uh a bollocking for it and 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 rightly so and i've learned um you know i've i've, I've learned uh since then to just just leave that kind of stuff alone just completely um try and like post it and then walk away and keep moving but um that seems like because that seems really hard to like this is yeah i mean this is not this is a fairly obvious comment but it seems really hard the contrast between shetland right and being in a class of being in a year group of five people yeah. and this sense that you get up and do a turn in a community where kind of like 
everybody or a reasonable proportion of people are going to get up in their turn you know everyone's audience and performer yeah like it's all it's participatory and everyone is like there's literally no one that, that that won't do something and and because of that you can't really you can't really like get up in the middle of that you can but you but you can afford to be quite like vulnerable but also you can't get up in the middle of it and do it and like it cause a sensation that then has people chatting about you um in a way that who don't know you um like you can afford you can more or less kind of like open yourself to the emotional experience of that and know what you're letting yourself in in for and the same with kind of open mic nights but i I wonder if you could just what it was like being kind of like open to like just like just being used to like connecting with an audience that's the part of the purpose of it right like you were saying is like making something happen that's not going to happen again and connecting with an audience in a kind of authentic way so you feel like you have your chat so you get something out of it what happens when that audience is colossal and is coming at it like in in crap yeah well it's in some ways it was i've not really thought about it too much because you just kind of keep on moving and keep making stuff but it's it was prop probably the thing that's weird it's it's i sometimes think as a writer i think you get the audience this might sound really weird i I, sometimes i feel like you get the audience that deep down you really crave that you really want like if 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 you if what you really want is certain people to like get on with your work as you're creating i think that's what you end up getting and i think i remember being younger when um doing my a levels when um my teacher miss thompson she gave us this this sheet and it had loads of different things on it it was like this kind of huge venn diagram with loads of different um uh things kind of colliding with each other but like right at the middle there was like three words um in this circle and she's like these this is the layers of everything you need for a successful piece of writing and there was way more than i could really take in but the three words at the middle and i thought about it loads and i've always thought about it since is she said that the, the the core things you need for it to work is you just need you need a writer there has to be a writer there has to be a reader or an audience and there have have to be the words right like and that's that's the the, the central like combo of things and i've always thought about the relationship between like status between sometimes I feel in poetry I think we elevate the poet's status to the point that that we start to believe our poets are more important than the the language they're using or or the audience and so audience maybe feel that poetry isn't for them or they feel that they are um they're not allowed to engage with it because they're kind of they 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 feel this kind of transmitting of uh, uh that they they are somehow lower status than than these kind of unicorn figures that we present our our historical poets as um and so I I I think um I think I've always thought about that relationship and I've always thought like that for me, that's always been the thing. I was like, I want to see if I can connect with an audience. That's it. That's all I have to do is I, I come up with my words and I connect with an audience. And I remember as I was kind of started writing out, chatting to different poets and saying, oh, sometimes I just think about what might be a poet might want to hear a poem about or what people are thinking about. And I think maybe I'll try and write about that and and, and, and getting like horrified faces <laughs> looking at me like going, what and I go yeah, I just think maybe would people be interested in a poem about this is that something that people are thinking about or would be concerned about maybe I can try and write something about that would be would be helpful uh, or something like that and people going that's absolutely the opposite of of where art they, they believed art would come from that it should come purely from I, I remember, yourself um, I remember saying to someone like talking about the art of working out a set and I was like going well you, I kind of like have like you know my opening piece and I'm trying to get the audience on do something quite broad that's like my mm. funnel as I'm bringing them in, but I said, 
and then I kind of like try and get the sense of what the audience want, you know, what kind of audience they are. And I'll try and build my set around what I think is going to go down well. And they, yeah, it's a similar thing. They were like, why, <laughs> why would you yeah. care what the audience uh, think? And, and, I, and don't get me wrong. Like I get what they're saying that they're kind of like going, it's not for you to constantly like reshape yourself to, to be, like what you think people want I, I i can state it in a charitable way but to them the idea that you would yeah want to try and meet the audience halfway was like yeah. what the what that what's wrong yeah, yeah. With you? but there's a part of me and i don't know if this is going to upset anyone there's a part of me that thinks if you if you don't care about that you then maybe you're not going to get that audience that you don't care about do you, know, do you know what i mean like i do feel a bit like if it's not something that you you're bothered about then, then that's cool, but that also probably means that that that, that maybe that, that those people are just not going to be an audience you're writing for. Do you know what I mean? And you're not, you're not going to connect with those those individuals. And I, I like the idea that for me, that is that's the reason I write. Like, is is I, I I enjoy that that connection. That's why I write for for live audiences. I I find it fun um, uh, because that was the environment that I've always um, those are my those are my favorite environments growing up when people uh, were, were finding ways to connect with an audience live. Um, so, yeah, so, but this was crazy because I don't really understand the internet at this point, like a decade ago. And, and uh, to be honest, I think like a lot of people don't really at that point, we're all kind of just getting, you know, stuck in. And so um, this went online and, and, and some of my poetry went viral as well, like online. And, and suddenly, I th- yeah, it was, uh, it was it was overwhelming, and what was really weird was there was so much like really uh, there really was so much positive like nice stuff. People were saying really lovely things all the time. I I, I mean I, I I got like a this might not be a, a big deal, but I ha- one 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 night I'm I'm pretty sure I got like over a thousand public at- added tweets to me from just random people when it was like all really kicking off i couldn't even get through all the stuff i tried to reply to everyone at first to say thank you and it was just mad but then what happens is you start or at least i what happened with me is you start then noticing those individual one or two people that that uh, that, that are negative and and it was just kind of like i could just the the dozens of people who are positive you, you, you i just ignore all of that and would focus on these individual kind of like negative comments and, and different points and i got really anxious as well because i remember like you have a big thing that gets all this attention and suddenly um you panic about what you're going to do next and you think it's just going to be diminishing returns right i I can't land that again i can't hit it again i'm I'm going to be on a downwards the the upward because because you didn't so because you didn't because you didn't um because when you're doing it right you're not like you're it's it's not like a heist that you spent 20 years planning that you're like this is going to be my pièce de résistance like like obviously like when you did it you knew it was good and it had landed and it had gone yeah. well and i right? thought maybe 2000 views or something do you know what I, mean? I was like i was like maybe 30000 views i was like that's that would be like pretty awesome um but then yeah it just go it just went it really just went and it had like international like rappers were sh- were sharing that and um like I got asked to do a, a rap battle that Ice Cube judged in the end. It was like mad. Um, and also you feel, you do feel acutely aware that you're kind of like, well, I'm kind of like a white middle class guy doing this mediocre at best. Do you know what I mean? And that's 
that feeds into the whole because it's uh, the juxtaposition of who you are and the environment you're in and what you're doing is certainly like a major part of the, the traffic. And it was billed as like teacher versus student kind of thing. So you've got all these things in there and you're like going and, and also probably it sounds really bad, but it was probably one of my like best performances. And you're like people are just fundamentally going to come and see me at a gig and realize I'm not. As good as I was in this thing, so you just they're going like, oh, it's 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 a really overwhelming thing, and I I spent a lot of time in the last few years bumping into to different poets who've gone viral for spoken word pieces and having conversations with them, and um, and 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 it, when when I, I'm 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 pretty cool with my stuff now, like I'm I'm fine with it all and stuff, but chatting to a lot of them, I, sometimes when they're talking about it, it's like they're talking about a traumatic, like genuinely uh, a traumatic experience. Um, that I think most people. Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm trying. Would would think. Yeah, that's the thing is, I, I'm I don't want to like. I mean, my temptation is to you know is to take the piss, but like I and that's not fair because I get what you're, I get what you're saying, right? That the, like this is something that because it's something that you didn't predict, right? And anything that just seems unpredictable no matter kind of like uh, what the emotional valence behind it is it kind of shatters your model of the world right because like we like to have predictable certain worlds right and you're talking about something that just you didn't see coming like appears and then you're look and then like it's like a comet's landed and you're you're now you're gaming it out going how did i do that how do i do it again oh yeah what happens next yeah yeah Right. And, yeah. And a lot of people have, have struggled with that. Like, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think I think a lot of people have come up to me because I think um, I think some of my stuff was some of the uh, earliest examples of stuff that went viral, I think, for, for, for people on, on YouTube. And so a lot of people have come up to me and, uh, to, to ask about how to deal with with um, with things going like that i mean my advice my dad's advice was always the best advice which is just if you don't know what you're doing just do nothing (laughs) just kind of just kind of chill out because you're probably going to make anything worse um just try and get your head down and and i think that's what i've really learned over the last few years is like actually there's a lot to be said for just the plod just keep plodding and just keep working and putting just keep stepping forward one foot at a time and putting the work out and that feels much more um for me that feels much more um real and solid um because yeah some of the meetings i went to were bonkers absolutely bonkers um the things that were being talked about tv shows films like loads of random stuff i was supposed to do a bit on never mind the buzzcocks at one point and and you sat in all these meetings going yeah all right and you're just thinking this is this is this world is madness like it's just people trying to connect x with z because z is what people are noticing at the moment and um uh and it, it, yeah it's it's a it's a funny old one but um, but yeah, do, do, it, may, it makes it sound like there's that there, there, you get to a point in where people are coming to you who fundamentally don't don't get it. Like <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I went say, to like, meetings in London and meetings. people you were like, "You're not wearing the suit. Why are you not wearing the suit that you were battling in?" And you're like, "I, I don't. Like, literally, I left teaching. Uh, <laughs> you know, like like three months. I don't." I wear jeans and a t-shirt all the all the time is that like you know it was really weird <laughs> really weird stuff um and also I, i'd left i left teaching at the same time as mixie you know like so mixie was um we both quit our jobs at the same time so mixie was like a you know, who obviously you know really well um but people listening probably don't um but mixie uh is an mc that i've worked with for, for years um, he's an amazing writer and we both quit our jobs at the same time and, and we're doing this together. So what was also kind of weird is then you, you've got this 
and then you, you're kind of going, well, but this guy's actually a genuinely really good rapper. Like this guy's actually really good. But like, yeah. So it's it was a funny old funny old thing. Um, but I think yeah, we, we laugh about it still. It's but... fucking brutal. It's like this guy can like actually freestyle really yeah. well, and they're genuinely like, really but... talented. But <laughs> can you wear a suit though? Because no, I mean that's do- that's doing you down a bit because obviously you were you were doing something adjacent and different but um yeah it's it just it just shows it just goes to show what well, one one thing i wanted to uh, ask before i move on is like you were talking about this idea of like writing the right the writer the the audience and the mm. words and i just wondered if like you feel like you when you look back at stuff that's like really hit because it's not just that you've done a couple of poems that are really connected with people and went you know and had people sharing them I'm just wondering whether you've managed to like alchemize or find any common determinants or just with other people's stuff of like what do you think happens when a piece really connects with people and starts being spread and people get it or it's just one that is like a showstopper or whatever have you do you feel like you've identified any common things about like what people are getting out of it uh, as an audience um let me think i I suppose um i suppose yeah i mean normally there's uh i think for if if you want people to share something online, for example, if you want, if that's that's something you're hoping to to have happen with the work, I think there's got to be. Um, I talk with kids about it when I kind of work in schools, and I, I talk about you kind of need something that's got a bit of an iceberg to it, you know, in the sense that like um, there's got to be a lot under the surface. There's got to be something that's gonna either it really means something to you, or you really have something you really want to like. You really you want to give a message, or you want to say something that you're hoping. If an audience is like a boat, and they come across and they they hit your iceberg, you're going to put a hole in the side of them. And and the more it means to you, the more you care about it, the more you thought about it, the more um and the more it resonates with that person, the more chance they have they're going to share it. Um and, and I think to be honest, that's I think that's fundamental. I think I think a lot of pieces that I would say I I don't think necessarily like a great writing. Um, that I've seen that have gone viral have have really been carried overwhelmingly by um, by a message that people um, agree with, and I think that's. But then this is it. It's it's what you want. It's what you what you want really. Like if what you want is to be shared by lots of people, uh, then I think you will create work that is tailored towards that, and you'll get that if that's what you're looking for. Um, honestly, I think. Um, You've got to have something you you've got to have something you want to say. I think if you want it, this to be something that's going to go viral, because not only people are going to enjoy it, but they're going to go want to go. Yes, this is uh, an extension of my thoughts and my belief about something that we're thinking about uh, in the world, or something that I would. It's something that I would like to say to other people, um, and I think those kind of pieces can go really viral. Um, I don't really. I think there's a there can be a catch in kind of thinking too much like that because I think you can avoid focusing on trying to write something that's it's kind of technically enjoyable, you know, that you'll, you'll enjoy the, the process of, of, of writing it. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's a real ramble, Tim. Um, feel free. No, I know. I, I mean, I, I, I didn't, I mean, like I didn't, if you had the exact formula for it, you would be the first person in the world to do it. Right. Yeah. Because like 
no nobody yeah. nobody has been able to replicate stuff i think if you perfectly. if you want a chance for it to be shared i've always found if you if you've got your face it like honestly if you've got your face in there as opposed to something that's animated or people can see who they're connecting with and who's talking if you're talking about something that that feels at least sincere for people as you're talking about it and if you take them on some kind of journey which they're then able to like have a reason to want to share with other people um rather than just that something that feels like at the end like they've in, enjoyed it and that's it but something that they would actually like to say or, or share but then at the same time something that can be really entertaining i saw a really cool i don't know if you saw the um there's a kind of a Dr. Zeus uh, across hip hop beats um, retelling of the the Snorlax, I think. Um, that's really badass and really cool. And that recently kind of did really well online. Um, and that was just a cool concept, like a, where it was some was, was mashing two things together with some decent production values. But I, I've noticed that as well. Good production values, I think sometimes uh, making sure you've got good sound, making sure you've actually spent a bit of time and effort thinking about how you're going to kind of hold the audience's hand throughout the piece. And again, it's just thinking about them, right. As you're, as you're creating the, the work um, and working out how, how you're going to make it, you know, how it's going to work from what I like about performance work sometimes is I think, um, you know, c compared to writing for the, the page um, where I, 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 some poems I really like, I don't fully understand the poem when I first read it and I go back to it and I can get more additional meanings out of it. And, and that's cool and everything um, for, for that for that medium. But I'd say in performance, um, if at least you can't get the, the, some ideas out on, on the performance, like if they don't get what you're talking about, to an extent, I feel like that's kind of on you a bit as a performer, if they don't understand what's going on within the poem. And absolutely, I'm sure there are examples of, of, of writing where the audience may not understand the poem and, and that you're performing and you're delivering. But, um, but I think there is, uh, in the oral tradition, I think you've got like more, like more, certainly the stuff that, that I think really connects and really does really well. You get kind of one chance to, to relay your message and get it across to them. And the more you can think about your audience when you're crafting that, the more chance you've got that that's going to work. Um, it's, it's so, it's, it's like, I think that's one of the hardest things I've found is, is that, is, 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 is remembering the difference between, and sometimes they come together beautifully, but like the game of the pieces you're writing it and the game of the piece for the audience as they're listening to it. Because sometimes you can fall in love with like finding rhymes and getting the meter just to go right and a really one little clever bit. And <laughs> sometimes when you take it to the stage, all that kind of craft that was very like doing a Sudoku for you. Yeah. Um, just the, 100%. that isn't present for the yeah, audience yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're not, and they yeah. don't get it. And sometimes the way that you introduce a piece can invite i know people like ross sutherland our mutual friend um the part ross sutherland is very good at inviting the audience into the process of like the game of the piece mm. and writing mm. it and then they can anticipate what you're doing and they can enjoy that as well but sometimes you can do something and you can be like personally like the meter of, of this piece is amazing and it's just it doesn't take the audience on a journey yeah. and yeah it's just like a very very beautiful vase that they can look at and go that is a well-made vase it doesn't yeah, and it's still completely valid okay, it's a great piece of art and it, it, i guess it, it you don't have to measure the success of something by how many people like it right or how many people want to share it um 
But I, I yeah, I, I, me and Mixie found this. But towards the end, like about two years in, when we were working together, you know, when we were still we were touring around doing our Dead Poet show and stuff, and we were writing new stuff, and we really liked the new stuff much more than the old stuff, and we were performing it in front of people, and we were then realizing very quickly they they liked the older stuff much more than the newer stuff because because I think deep down there was a part of me that was trying to write to impress Mixie. You know what I mean? I wanted to write Mixie. And Mixie's palette is perhaps a little bit more developed than the, you know, a lot of people that I was going performing in front of at, uh, at music festival gigs and stuff like that as well. Because Mixie spends all of his time writing and thinking about the writing process. So, and I think that's one thing that I found really good about, uh, I don't know, like living in Peterborough and having like, I'm really happy I've got like so many friends that um that don't write and that, that do other things. And I, I, I sometimes think like... Um, I have to really think about how to write not to not to try and like not to worry about trying to impress other writers but to try and find my audience. Yeah, I know what you mean. I I've definitely got like a couple of pieces that like other poets would come up to me and go, oh, "I really love that. I really like that piece. I really got it, got it." And I'm and I'm like thinking, "Oh, that always seems to like <laughs> Yeah, I that always seems to feel feel like the noise of like someone dropping some shoes down some a flight of stairs whenever I do it. Like it just seems to like die on its ass. But like if some poets are telling me they like it, I'll continue putting it in the set. Now I agree with what you're saying that those poems might be valid for me to have written, and it's and they might have a niche appeal that makes them perfectly valid as pieces of art. But I shouldn't have kept putting them in the set because they're just some stuff is just not. Like you say, it's it's for a certain palette. It's for like those hummingbirds that grow really long beaks so they can yeah, drink yeah. from like one type do, of flower. Yeah. And I think I do think I've learned to be quite firm with myself and to go, who do I who do I want it to write like this? And if 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 I want other writers, if I want what I keep what I tell myself all the time is I want people who really love poetry and are already kind of buying poetry books to to like it. That's cool, but that's that's smaller than the audience that don't. <laughs> Like that is smaller <laughs> than the audience that don't. And I would like to write for for that audience. Like I care about um, I, I like the idea that I can stand up and, and, and show people that poetry is as much theirs as it is as anyone else's and they can enjoy it. And um, uh, and that's great. And and if I spend too much time, I've learned if I spend too much time with Mixie, uh, I certainly start to write things that um, I find myself do not connect in the same kind of way because I'm thinking more about kind of focusing on Mixie. So I've learned to kind of you know balance that out a bit um but so like when you i was wondering what's something i wanted to i, I sort of wanted to ask in contrast to the like the pieces that have gone down that have gone viral and stuff well it might not be in contrast at all um and it's fine if you if you don't want to answer this that that's absolutely fine as well i understand but i was wondering if you could talk a bit about like a piece that you've written what's the piece that you feel most proud of oh. that you've gone yeah and i realize that that might make you feel a bit vulnerable and you might not want to answer because it's like you kind of can't win by answering because it but um i just i just wondered if you could reflect on that a little bit yeah i guess there's two that i can think of that come to mind and i don't even one i don't know why it comes to mind i, I wrote one and i've not performed it like ever uh no i did i did sorry i actually we talked about ross southern i supported um ross on his recent um tour and i said to ross i said like look i've written a 14 minute long poem 
that's <laughs> a retelling of Faust, but with in the current political climate with like a, a David Cameron-esque kind of pri- uh, wannabe prime minister who makes a deal with the devil in order to, to get, get the job. Um, could I try it out? And I, I, I read it out and I sat at, at, at a desk uh, and it was really weird for me because I'm used to standing up, performing with no notes, and I sat there with a stack of papers and I read this 14-minute poem and it was not a huge audience it was like there was a, a few a fair few people there but it wasn't huge but like i read it and then, and then they, they all gave me a really big applause and they really seemed to like it and it was lovely and i've never had the courage to read it again afterwards i, I might at some point but I'm, i weirdly i feel very proud of that poem because i spent so long on it um and I'm, i i but the other one I, I guess the other one that came to mind was um i some friends that I, I, I love dearly, uh, Claire and Chris. Um, Claire is a teacher that I met when I first, it was about six months into me having left my job and, and being a poet, and she'd seen some of my stuff online, and she gave me one of my first secondary school bookings um, in Cambridge. It was quite a, a tough um, school. I was with all boys in year 10, and we did the day a day of workshops, and it went really, really well. We had a really good good time, and they liked the poems and stuff, and, and it was great. And then she's gone and taught um overseas and and she bu- she booked me to go overseas and and now I, I kind of pop over to school every year and um and we, we we hang out all the time and um and they were getting married and they contacted me and they said would you run our wedding service would you deliver the wedding service um uh we're gonna do the legal bit the day before and i was like oh okay yeah of course and so we i went to like lake geneva and it was uh stunning like francois holland was in the hotel that we were in the night before and they had all this security there and and we turned up and it was it was crazy uh and um and i married them um and i wrote a poem for the wedding um and i read it out and for me i'm really proud of that poem i think um i don't i've not really read it i read it the other uh, other day i was chatting to harry harry baker and i read it um but i just felt it was for me it was just doing the job of what I think my, I like my poems to do. I, I just I, I perform for doors. I, I think I've got it. I can even read it if you want. Um, I don't know if that's. Yeah, no, I, I was I was I was I, I was sort of I, I was sort of havering about whether it w- I was going to ask you and you were going to go, what? Fuck. Or, <laughs> I don't have it with me. Um, I yeah, I no, probably I'd got love it here. To, uh, w- All right. So. Um, so this is. Uh, yeah, I just thought, I, you know, I was thinking, well, I, I don't know everyone who's going to be that, you know, I, I'm going to read a poem at the wedding. Um, it's part of the the, the service. Um, and I, I asked them some some info about each other to kind of put the poem together. Um, and I just wanted to have something that would really bring everyone together in the room and unite them in in, in the day. And, and, and they, they told me a few things. They told me that um, they first met in a kebab shop, um, which I thought was quite funny. And... Um, they were both quite drunk and um, Claire was a guy was pestering Claire and she didn't like it. And so Chris helped to get rid of him and then cheered her up by like taking her high heeled shoe and pretending it was a mobile phone in the corner of the room. Uh, and um, yeah. And so they ended up together and uh, and they they just had a daughter. Um, uh, yeah. Isla, who's absolutely lovely. And so, yeah, it's about that. Um uh, it, it just goes like this. Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah, just picture everyone. Everyone's there looking at me like, what is this guy about to do? Um, we like to think that love will hit us up when we expect it. 
in pastel shades, all humble, tame, the kind we see projected on cinema screens or on TV in well-lit, classy backdrops. But love, I think, would happily sit and wait in a kebab shop for two strangers on a drunken night, dishevelled in appearance, where chips fly past us like the stars and speech is incoherent, and love is just as happy here, the view is as romantic, revellers fall in, sweat is pouring, foreheads wet from dancing, as Claire meets Chris and begs he help a dodger man's advances and he cracks some jokes, makes a laugh, then figures that he'll chance it, drops down to pick our shoe up from the corner where it was thrown, and holding it to his ear, he then pretends that it's a mobile phone. <laughs> what a death manoeuvre. Didn't care if it may look weird, scavenging for her footwear part Lothario part Ray Mears not knowing that shoe glued to head was what would seal the deal while symbolising the years he'd spend being firmly brought to heel yes sometimes love will improvise it's not a shade of beige. It was there in that kebab shop as numbers were exchanged. And as the years rolled on, that love grew strong, looked, up, uh, looked on through a procession of profanosaurus chats, videos of cats, dodgy Schwarzenegger impressions, and love reveled in Claire's selflessness, her patience, depth of character, her encyclopedic knowledge of the real housewives of Atlanta, her lust for fun, her weird forked tongue. Chris soon learned that she's like a swan, graceful, elegant, tender to the touch, plus... Like a swan should break his arm if he's bothered her too much and love's been there as Chris has grown. So many titles blessed. Partner, best friend, daddy, or just Huffington when he's stressed. His Raymere's side is out of hand. Need gadgets, he's your saviour. And okay, so there's no actual need for a food dehydrator, but it's the ways that we're a little odd and the ways that we're unique that love enjoys. Our weird bits, all our differences and dreams. And embracing someone's weirdness helps us learn to know ourselves. And love entwined transforms our lives with more uniqueness as well. Be like Isla, angel, newly formed. A blessing, sweetheart, cutest ball of uniqueness. So beautiful. Nothing like you knew before. And as she grows, I know she'll be at least equally as unusual. Because love is not perfection. Adventures are not uniform. Instagram is pretty bland. There's nothing there to keep you warm. And today we're in a classy space. Both of you have earned it. At times there's been stress getting here and we want things to be perfect. And it is as much as love can be. Our dearest as our backdrops. But let's still give thanks for being ourselves and love and to kebab shops. Ah. Oh, I love, I mean... Listeners to the podcast will be sick of my saying this, but I do love the specificity in that poem. I, I, I think it's it's weird how um how we kind of I I kind of feel folded in. You feel a bit like you know the couple based on what are obviously some kind of like in jokes. Uh, I. I, I think uh, I, I imagine the um, brought to heel line like wet, like landing. Yeah, it did. It did. That, do you know what? It was um, it's one of the best gigs I've ever had. Like it just everything just worked. Everyone was smiling. It was just really, really lovely. Um, and I still I still get, you know, people they message every now and then and pe people talk about it and they've, they've got, you know, they've got a copy that they can they can keep. And I don't know, like to, to be honest, I'm just really happy doing that. Like, right. That's just really nice. Um, you know, thinking about how, how you're going to um, write something that's going to have, have an impact on, on, on an audience like, 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 like that. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I might put out another book of poetry soon. I've kind of got enough things that are coming together. And I, I think that might be I, I might just put it in because it's funny you say that. I, I, I do think 
you can write for an audience and thinking about that audience and then you can i mean we've both done this right where you can then repurpose the poem and perform it for a completely different audience and with a, a, a lovely mm. bit of setup, even poems that, that bomb like you can really tell people oh this audience didn't like you know if, if you can paint the audience prior to, to to that audience into the poem somehow as you're kind of like relaying it you can create a game with the audience in relation to that um but um but yeah yeah it's 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 weird because we had that we had that poem that we that we did that was a deliberately bad poem this is you know when we were writing for the oh, yeah that was good kind of like anti-slam style poem and <laughs> it it sort of didn't quite land for a long time when we performed it or it would only intermittently land yeah um but we'd always been setting it up going here we're going to do a really um brilliant poem now and then it would be an obviously bad poem but it was so weird when we, you just went should we just tell the audience we wrote a deliberately bad poem and i was like i felt like the when if we did that then it would kind of ruin the joke right it would it, it was it would be like turning to you and say we're about to come on and say mm. something but not really mean it like it seemed too easy but actually as soon as we did that like all the problems with the inconsistency of the poem went away you once were like Oh, they're being deliberately. Yeah, stupid. yeah, it was cool. funny, wasn't it? I, I, I don't know. I think sometimes like everyone wants to have a good time, don't they? They just want to like. Sometimes, I, I, yeah, I think a lot of the the last ten years has been kind of me learning not to let myself get in the way of connecting with the audience in a way. Do you know what I mean? I would like finding like just just smoothing the 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 connection or, or finding ways that like. Um, my preconceptions or what I think I should be doing or, or anything else or, or, or my need to say things or, or do things. Sometimes my need to, to sound clever. Sometimes I, 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 I put things into a poem because I think it will sound clever. And actually that's not what, um, it's not as, a, it's not as effective in connecting or, 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 or working in relation to the poem and the themes and the message and, and getting everything across as, 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 because I'm, I'm doing it for me. Um, I don't know. I mean, I personally, I like I, the thing I'm really jealous. Well, not the thing I'm particularly jealous of in your poems is like your ability to do half rhymes and make them sound really natural. Um, uh, I think like in that one you just did, you like rhymed unique with dreams and it like flowed really well. And your ability to have like quite a loose meter, but doesn't feel like a wrenched meter. I think I really struggle not to treat my poem like a fucking Hellraiser puzzle box where everything yeah, has to fit. I like that fit, about fit. your and stuff. And the audience, yeah, but the audience fundamentally do not give a shit. <laughs> like they just, like they don't, like you say, like they want to be, they want you to entertain them. They want you to tell them something they don't know. They'd like to be surprised, but they'd like to have, they'd like to have their weak beliefs um, overturned and their strong beliefs confirmed that always feels good oh that is yeah, really yeah. interesting but then also like the place it's good to challenge an audience though isn't it like if it, we, we, we don't want to just give the, the audience everything that they want um because that's yeah that's, but, but I, you ch but you challenge their weak beliefs though mark this is the thing is if you like make them go i didn't know penguins could do that right then they'll go how interesting if you go to them and go your political beliefs are bullshit yeah they'll go why are you attacking me? Yeah, like, so I had, I've I think, had gigs I, I like that. Do yeah, think, I don't know. Like, what do you think? Like, what, what, what do you think? Like, challenging an audience looks, challenging an audience successfully looks like because people have paid to come out to see you, right? 
we've we've seen people go on stage and probably I, 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 I we probably have both done it at well, some we, stage we had a bad gig in eastbourne right like, we had a bad gig like do you remember the gig in eastbourne where we 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 got through it like it was it was uh mark like I, my geography is that the one where the guy stood up and saluted when we met, mentioned Margaret. Yes, Thatcher? it was. It's it's when well, before we started the show, a guy came in off the street and squared up to me, and, and had to be like removed by the bouncers <laughs> as I was just asking everyone to move in so we could start reading poems. It was it was oh, it yeah. started it started hostile, and yeah he was nose to nose it was, one, it was, one, <laughs> was like, oh what? my gosh but but we had but we had a real responsibility but the undergirding all of that was we had a really good responsibility to do our best and to do it because do you remember it was a group of i think sick formers yeah it like was drama really, really really lovely like, um yeah they were they were getting great they were getting graded on how they put it was they were doing like yeah, an yeah, arts yeah, and yeah, entertainment but it was also a lot of like, people that, of that that basically gave them glowing reviews because they <laughs> so we were all we were all we all had to make sure the gig went well everyone did yeah. um so we're all united oh in that gosh, but, but yeah. um yeah i mean i remember there was you know when we so the, the show for any <laughs> was called uh, was called voted out. The idea was we were going to talk through kind of um, Brexit and and this general concept that we've never voted more than we ever have, right? Recently, and the country was so horribly divided. And we were going to go to it started out with this Brexit kind of, voting. We have areas. a few jokes about Brexit and stuff like this, and we had a a, a, a meter that you kind of uh, with an arrow that you would kind of. You remember you're gonna like we're gonna go from like far right to um, wham. Uh, yeah, far left. George Michael was uh, was the, on the far far on the, representing the furthest left you could go because Club Tropicana drinks are free. Was the yeah? I yeah. mean, I, I think and as you move the dial, now, go, they, I'm we, not you know, you got to Margaret Thatcher. Like a guy stood up and saluted, and um, it was. Uh, there were tensions there. There were there were tensions there as because we were reading pieces. Uh, some of the pieces were like definitely talking overtly about politics, and it was really, really stressful. Um, wh- whereas, like poems that are kind of like, oh, may- maybe the, the the teenagers that you're a bit suspicious of, maybe we should give them a bit more, you know, a bit more consideration. Is you know, is is, is a smoother one that people can get on board with, I guess. Um, but uh, but I don't know. I think we had a tough it's... gig there. <laughs> I think that was a that was that was a... yeah. So I mean, I mean, and it's only bad gigs. I would say this, this it's the gigs where like it doesn't work that help. Just like teaching, this is what you learn from teaching. The reason that like, the first year you're supposed to crash and burn again and again and again as a teacher, and you learn all these coping strategies and techniques because you you don't connect with your audience for ages, and then eventually you, you know you start to kind of sort of work out how, how to do it um but none of my bad gigs have been traumatic in the way my successes have been like that's in- um i i like i the things that have blocked me the things that have made me go i can't fucking i just cannot write have been where i've done something and it's done really well and i've known it's done well when i've had a bad gig like i'm not saying i come away going i don't with like 80s power ballads playing like feeling like fucking amped but like it's quite it's weirdly freeing like steve aylett's got a line in his fake 
his biography his fake biography of like a fictional failed writer uh lint about this guy jeff lint where he says um uh, maybe these disappointments were stages in the process of being cut loose altogether freedom in other words and i've always thought that's been like really true to me that like whenever something has gone really badly or has just sucked or just eaten shit i felt quite free afterwards like i don't have to i can just do what i do you know mm. and i don't have to i haven't got a reputation to lose i haven't got like don't have to worry about like fuck how am i going to live up to that next time how am i going to what's the thing i'm going to write next that's going to make those people those i've got no one to disappoint yeah you know i can just rock up and i don't know what's your i agree i, I, I agree I, I definitely found that like uh success the, the viral success always came with a kind of paralysis like in 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 the weeks that followed it um it's it's not been so bad now i, I had like a i made like a jokey music video um that went you know like a bit viral it got about like i think about like seventy five thousand views or something in 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 a week um like in the autumn um i just made like a, a jokey music video about inset day like in schools i just got shared by loads of teachers and that was that was a that was a that was a good move because it turns out i get lots of school bookings now because lots of teachers um want to chat to me about the music videos which is nice um but um but that's kind of that level is I'm kind of okay with. That's fine, and I'm so I feel like I'm. But it wasn't as as loud as the the other one, uh, like the earlier stuff. And you were, and you were speaking to a very particular or yeah, and I felt very authorized. Right. You know, it was it you know it's it's just a playful, um, piece. You know, like it yeah, absolutely. It wasn't um I knew I yeah I I knew and again as I wrote it I knew who the audience was and I really made sure that I kind of placed a lot in there that would just you know work for for teachers and stuff um can i can i ask i just want to sort of uh i suppose the like last couple of things i sort of wanted to ask about were to do with your your writing process like how a piece comes together and then i might move on to sort of see if you've got a couple of suggestions for cuz i know you've been doing a bunch of like online uh classes during the lockdown mm. for like schools and stuff like that and some for like adult learners as well so i wondered if you we could start like with like when you're doing a poem like how that process starts to come together and then maybe just and then maybe i'll ask you a couple of follow-up questions about like people listening how they can make that jump into starting to like stick the kind of catam mari ball of kind of like ideas together into a piece um i suppose i suppose most of the time i a lot of the time i try and uh i i, I kind of something kind of there's a line a repeated line that kind of sticks with me or there's an idea or there's something that i i feel like oh i could talk about that that's something that kind of annoying me at the moment i like i uh, i had one that that went out called the queen won't pay her taxes which just talked about um kind of the inequalities within the uk um and it kind of used that kind of repeated line and i, I like the idea of having like a repeated line in a lot of a lot of my work so I, I tend to think about an idea and i just kind of formulate 
stuff over an amount of time. The, the, the one I keep thinking about at the moment, because I keep thinking about the press and everything else. And, and I, I just keep thinking about this idea of like, what are you what are we consuming um, and, and about diet and, and about how we, we all know about, you know, the like we, we all understand the idea that like food food and and drink and the things that we consume affect how we are and and perhaps maybe what we're consuming whether it's the daily mail or or whatever it is is going to have like an impact on us and i like this idea of like what are we consuming and uh, so i'm at this stage with that piece where i'm kind of like starting to go right i'm really going to start thinking about putting down these lines i know i'll have that repeated line in it but also i feel like very much like i'm ready to go with it like i feel like it's something that i want to talk about but also i feel like it's something that would be good for an audience i can feel like people are kind of maybe would be interested in 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 thinking about that at the moment um about about what's so it sounds like you like ideas come to you and there's a like a little sort of like pregnancy stage where you're just letting them rattle around in your head until there's enough of it that you're like i've actually got to drop some of this onto the page now yeah it's actually yeah. getting it's actually starting to become too irritating to keep in my head yeah, because yeah. I'm and i've normally got much. like a dozen of those kind of things like popping about until eventually something just kind of like you wake up one morning and it's got legs right and you're like oh okay all right we'll sit down and and, and, do, and do this one now um so I, I but i feel like that one is really on the edge uh on 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 the verge of it um and i think that i'll, I'll be kind of writing that in the next couple of weeks um so yeah, so there's that. I normally uh, I rhyme a lot, and I normally just start thinking about what would be like an an easy, accessible. Uh, I, I had a workshop with Francesca Beard when I started writing, and I thought she said something really interesting about how you know, like a performance poem is like a bus journey, uh, and the audience you'll you'll take maybe different members of the audience will go on different different journeys actually, because we all kind of will interpret things in slightly different ways. So so no one's journey will be completely the same, but you have to like get everyone on the bus right you've got to get everyone on the bus if they're not on the bus then then what's happening why are you on the stage what's going on so uh yeah francesca's a like i i I, there's a couple of people that just always leave the stage better than when they get on it and i know it sounds like a sort of backhanded compliment to say i like going on after francesca beard Mm. because it sounds like i'm going well i'll definitely be able to follow that but what i mean is she's just really good at crowd work oh she's she's really good at making the audience basically better and more up for it and more receptive and more included and more feeling like they're gonna have a good time when she gets off stage than when she comes yeah yeah. she's great at that and 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 um yeah and so i've always that's always stuck with me that idea uh, and I talk about that in workshops when I work in schools as well. Is is your, and and I think regularly, and also because I've made things for YouTube, and I've made like quite a lot of videos that have quite, you know, have have, have production values behind them that, that that we've had to kind of you know, pay for gear and and we've had to shoot and light and color and everything. And and when you're working through that stuff, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how everything about that that poetry video and what's going on is keeping people on the bus. You know how we're kind of transitioning from image, or, or when we're using images to kind of, um, to, to when maybe even change the writing of the poem because some of the heavier things done by the visuals and and stuff like that as well. And I, I think this idea of like keeping people on the bus all the way through, I think, is really, really um, has been really useful for me in, in in making sure that I kind of have content that I've produced and work that I produce that people will follow all the way through. Um, so yeah, so um, I'm I'm then very much thinking about kind of that. I mean, I'm doing uh, I'm writing a lot of kids stuff at the moment. I, I've got like a really exciting. I've got like a, a, a picture book, a multi um, book deal um, with a publisher, which I can't talk about 
fully yet, but I'm working on that separately, and that's kind of cool. And and again, I find that dude, I'm re- I'm reading so many picture books at the moment, and and more than once uh, I thought Mark could re- could do this, like like I I've just thought like some 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 sometimes the rhymes are really good. Sometimes I've read a few that I've been like this is, but I'm just like so, the best ones have got a really good game behind them, and I'm yeah. like. This is like what I feel like you've been training for for a long time. I, I've, I've, I turns out I love it. Like I've started um, mucking about with a few. I've got Rachel, my agent's amazing. And she kind of, I went in to see her and she said, you just need a bit of focus, Mark. Try, try doing these things. And she gave me a few ideas for, for things to write. And I went away and um, yeah, and I really enjoyed it. And I like thinking about that audience. And I work with young kids a lot of the time and, and talking with them and, and, and doing stuff. And, and it feels really honest and really sincere when, you, when, you, when you're connecting with them. And, and um, yeah, and so I, I'm, enjo- I'm, I'm loving that audience. Um, I'm writing for that audience at the moment. Uh, and, and so, yeah, uh, those, those things are kind of tumbling out. Like I, that, that's, I, I kind of am writing lots of those at the, uh, all over. All, all the time but really yeah that's it i i kind of i just start kind of like writing things uh like just just mixing ideas trying to say things out loud i pace a lot when i start writing things i often will go for a jog first thing in the morning and that will loosen up a few lines um i like the sounds of the of the words and i kind of like say things out loud a lot and i kind of move around about and i think about rhythms and um and vowel sounds a lot uh, to try and what sounds pleasing, um, what can keep us, uh, what, what's kind of smooth and, and not too difficult to follow, but at the same time can have some really kind of fun visual images and stuff. When, when, because I know like we've done gigs where we've offered to do like um, bespoke poems for the audience and they shout out some words and then yeah. you'll like go and write one in the break and stuff. And so that requires like often a kind of like working theory of humor and what's funny, right? Because you have to slot all these things in, into, um, I was just wondering, I know this is a big question, so sorry to throw it in at the end, but like when you're thinking of like, you know, that line with the kind of like, um, and like a, like, you know, like a swan, you know, she can like break your yeah. arm. Like, I wonder if you've got like, what makes like a, when you when you start like noticing punch lines, how do you start landing on those kind of like wham lines or those moments, those those, those bits in the poem where you like unleash some energy you've built up? I wonder if you could just talk on that briefly because that's Rat battling's like taught me a bit about itself. that. Like you know they they call them punchline battlers um, within battling uh, are guys that they uh, so so some people who start battling they're really good MCs but they kind of struggle to get the room to respond to the punches because what they do is they write their first, they write a really great line. And then they st- they continue rhyming from it. And actually, I think Mixie um, definitely when he started out was doing it like this. So you'd, you'd have like a really great kind of insult as your first line uh, in a rhyme scheme. And then you, but the problem is you've kind of got to meet that bar still, right? You've got to keep trying to come up with more content that's going to be as funny or as as painful or as as strong as that. But it's always diminishing returns, and it's a lot of pressure to put on you as a writer because you're trying to keep running that that scheme and still say something that works. Whereas punchline battlers have kind of got this idea that it's almost like a comic book, and you you, you come up with the final frame first. So you come up with the, the punch at the end of the scheme, and you build your way up to it. And I'm sure, Tim, that we both do this sometimes with in, in when we were writing our performance things. And I do this a lot. Is I kind of I kind of uh, when I'm gathering ideas, I think my best bit of my best rhyme or my best simile, my best image, I'll put at the end of 
I think like uh, the end of uh, end of the scheme, and I'll, I'll then I'll then build up to it. And every time I'm rhyming, it's like I'm swinging the punch as I'm heading up there. It's not like a great example, but like I think in my poem Keith, I think I said like um, I think like uh, it's about a terrible poet called Keith, and he was like Keith was a poet. At least he wrote every month and he read what he wrote, although most of it stunk. It was turgid at best. Every word as it left would just twirl in the air like a turd in a dress. And every time I say that, it gets a real laugh on turd in a dress. Hmm. Um, and it's such a silly thing. Um, and the setup is like, you know, um, turgid at best, word as it left. Uh, um, and it's like it's this fun little kind of four syllable uh, kind of assonant rhyme thing. But. You you come up with the punchline first or the silly image first, and then you rhyme as you kind of like lead up to it. With 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 the with the John Cooper Clark rhyme scheme, which is like a a a title. Yeah, yeah. I I like I I I did one. You've done some I, great ones on that. I did, but like um, uh, and but the first one I wrote in that style was called "This Line's the Title," and it went say it said say all right, I'm a normal bloke rhyme with the first line that you spoke then undercut it with a joke this line's the title and like it's a very meta kind of poem and i didn't really have any it didn't go anywhere from there which is why i don't perform it but like um but actually that was a really good set of notes to myself that you just basically you the first line is a free one yeah the second one yeah, the second the second one you 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 just got to kind of continue that you 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 set up a um a ru- a rule right that and then the third one you have to undercut the rule mm. and that's your punchline and then you come in with the title yeah. which the audience are a bit expecting and I think like it, it it's yeah I, I know exactly what you're talking about that kind of like way of where you're leading it's kind of like a garden path sentence as well like where you start leading them down one direction and then you take something away or you have a rhyme coming that's in retrospect was obvious and they go like do you know what i mean you have a couple of lines leading up to it where the the rhymes that you're hitting are quite noticeably clunky right and it's t- and it but actually you were setting up a familiar phrase that like and then they yeah it was just like, oh, great it's, it's funny really then. funny when um yeah. yeah we've both done a lot of that kind of stuff but i i i also like when we're I don't know about you, but like I think when you're writing, I don't. I often don't think the poem's even finished for weeks, months after I've started performing it. I still tweak them, tweak things, and come up with ideas and 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 add bits and change stuff. Um, I, I kind of like that. That I, I feel like uh, I feel like my poems are a bit. I think that's why I think I'm, I'm more kind of like chaotic rather than lawful sometimes is I kind of like the idea that actually I think it's an exchange with an audience and over time I might drop bits from the poem. I might find for extra lines that are funny, um, you know. Uh, so ad, ad-libs start to, things that were ad-libs, even if they were just pauses yeah. or like asides that you make during the poem, become canon oh absolutely a while, yeah right? like I- come to you right come to peterborough right i there's a poem i've got right come to peterborough which I, I tim can probably read out word for word i performed that loads that was my opener for so long and i performed it for years as an opening piece this kind of like jokey piece about coming to Peterborough. i think i can probably yeah, perform yeah, I bet it you can. In my head i won't I bet you but... Can. but um i performed that for ages and then at some point i just stopped towards the end and i said come to peterborough and i just went in front of one audience there must have been about like 80 gigs in 100 gigs in and i went please 
come to Peterborough. And that's probably the bit that gets the best response when I perform it. And so I've performed it ever since. And it took like 80 performances of the poem to, before I put that piece in. To find that little... And then, I've, and then I milked that poem for another seven years after. <laughs> but no, I, yeah, gosh. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoy that. It, it, but it's great, right? Like I think, I think, but but when you sort of put it like that, rather than it seeming like we we always joke about poems that we do that we wheel out a lot as if it's kind of like a form of hackery. But when you talk about it as an exchange with the audience, actually, it seems like the opposite. It seems like it's like this piece that you're really. It seems like an act of real like generosity and stuff to to take these ones that you've really worked hard on and that you've worked you've workshopped with an audience and go like, here, have my have this piece that I really I know is going to actually make you happy. Yeah, I love that one. You know, I was thinking about the one you did the other day. The um, you you played with the um, ukulele. Uh, these are a few of my favourite kings. You know, when you redo favourite things. Yeah. So the the joke of it is, yeah, just for people who uh, uh, everyone listening won't, won't know it. I just would sing. <laughs> it was favourite things, but I but the. the, the the joke was i mean when i say it explain it it sounds so bad but like but it brought it so would, much joy. i remember seeing it before that's one of the first yeah, times i saw the line would end with yeah. these are a few of my favorite something that rhymes with things like kings or bings was one of them but but the Mings. lines proceeding would just start yeah describing them yeah would would describe the thing so the audience and and yeah and after a while i started performing that so the game was the audience had to shout out what they thought the rhyming thing was going to be before I reached it. And the audiences, they kind of loved it. <laughs> they did love it. Tim. it I, I loved it. It was such a, for a moment, it's just whatever was going on in everyone's day, they didn't, they weren't worrying about it and they were enjoying a little word game and they were having fun with their families and it was great. Do you know what I mean? Like, and they, I think... You kind of and you can't almost lovely... with pieces like like that. We you can't sit down and go right. How am I going to write the next? No. And I think the more you write, I can play yeah. with the audience. And you, the more you write, I think you start to trick yourself, and you think you almost think you wouldn't write something like that again. Do you know what I mean? You kind of think you've kind of. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I, that's how I feel sometimes with come to, like, come to Peterborough. I think I think I would never write a poem like that again. I think it's really bad, but I. But people, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, um, sometimes it's nice. Um, yeah, maybe maybe it's like, did, I mean, come to Peterborough. Did you originally, you didn't, did you write it as a commission? Originally? I did. I was poet laureate of Peterborough at the time and I was asked to write a poem by the mayor and I remember being very nervous and turning up thinking I was going to, like, offend everyone in the in the city. Um, <laughs> like, it was going to be really bad. And it's Fuck. It's the most delicate chiding of of uh, Peter. I think like uh... I I did a gig in I did a gig in Melbourne, right? I don't think I don't know if I told you this. I did a gig in Melbourne, and we were in over in Australia doing a tour, and I'd been asked, and it was the Melbourne Literary Festival, and I'd been asked to do this night that was called Sleeve Notes, and you were each given a, a every every performer it was poets gets given a song from an, a classic album and you have to write a response to it right and they'd chosen in excess right the album kick which i not an in excess fan hadn't listened to it but they get and they gave me the title track kick because i was a british poet who'd come over right 
And I I don't know what I was thinking, right? Because I thought they were like, it's a really funny night. Everyone like mucks about. It's really sort of like irreverent. So I thought like, oh, it's like a jokey, funny night. And I, and I wrote this ukulele song. Right, so the, the, the song Kick has the main line, sometimes you kick, sometimes you get kicked. And I, I did a ukulele song that basically, like, the punchline to it was about... Was a, it doesn't even seem very funny to me now. It seems, it seems crass. But, like, it was about Michael Hutchins... <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm feeling anxious just remembering it. Michael Hutchins' death by autoerotic asphyxiation, right? I, I, and, I, and it said sometimes it says it said sometimes you fuck, sometimes you wank and choke, right? That was the that was the end of the piece. And I turned up, and the reason I'm giggling is because I'm feeling so nervous remembering it. And they were all dressed up like as members of InXS, and I forgot they InXS an, an Australian band, and they were and they were going. <sighs> It's just really good to commemorate Michael Hutchins. He's really well loved. And of course, and just before I went on, the guy having done some like quite campy, funny bits was like, um, everyone like remembers the tragic circumstances surrounding his death and we miss him every day. And like in the name of bringing me on. And I was like, I've never, there's like 300 people in the room. And I was like, what the fuck have I done? Like, do you know when you just like suddenly your critical judgment of your own work becomes perfect? Like when you go on stage and you go, this isn't funny. Why did I think this was, why was I giggling to myself about mocking somebody's death? Like, and they'd been talking about like the daughter left behind. And I was like, oh my shitting God. What do I do? Do I just not do the piece? Do I just go, sorry? <laughs> like, or do I run? I was out in the fucking, I was in the fire exit. I was, I was in the fire exit and I saw the stairs going down and I go, do I just run? Do I just run? And then I'll be on my flight back to England in three days. Like they won't, I'll never have to see this movie again. And I did it. I did the piece. And like most of it was like this build up to it, you know. And, and I did the line. And there was like a silence went across the room. And then everybody. And I'm sorry to say this is like, it sounds like a self grand And then everybody just like started crying with laughter. Like people were falling over. And I think it wouldn't have worked if I hadn't been obviously like like shitting myself it was like off the top turnbuckle i was like oh my fucking god yeah. and it was like no one had mentioned it and then every yeah. and i think everyone else had been thinking of it but holy fuck commissioned pieces are like yeah i, I don't think that was the last commissioned piece i ever did but they but they make you write in ways that you wouldn't normally i don't know there might be something yeah. in it but also i think sometimes gigs gigs like that when you suddenly ha like we're both in positions where there's a lot of red flags, but somehow it still works. And actually some yeah. of the best gigs, I mean, me and Mixie had a gig. We, we toured and we, we, we put out that we would tour anywhere. We called, called it an anywhere and everywhere tour. Um, some guy was like, we'll pay you like 300 quid or something to do two nights in a row. Um, this is like back in that first year. Uh, and one of them was like in this little market town by the sea. I can't remember where it was. And we turned up and it was going to be in a pub and we're like, wicked, we're going to perform Dead Poets. Great. Uh, and we turned up and um, it turned out it was like a heavy metal um, pub and they had like loads of like heavy metal cover bands would play there every Friday. And so obviously like Dead Poets 
sounds pretty metal compared to everything else. And there's loads <laughs> of people in leathers and like there's tats and like bikers and all this and everyone's there and like beards and everyone's like going like, yeah, you got guys the band and we're like, we're not a band. We're like a poet and Fuck. a rapper. We're going to do an hour long theatre show about the relationship between rap and poetry. Uh, and they're like, no, you're fucking not. And, and so we went in and um, uh, they they heckled us like crazy. Like the first 10 minutes was horrendous. Then um, a woman jumped up on the stage and she started going like, fuck you guys. <laughs> it was really, and I was like, ah. and I was like, look, I'm going to read wow. you a love poem. And I read, um, you are the hottest of all of the gingers to her. <laughs> she had red hair and I finished it and everyone was pissing themselves and she jumped up and she like, hugged me and kissed me on the cheek and jumped down. And then like guys like brought over like drinks and then we were like, all right, should we carry on the show? And everyone was like, yeah, fucking carry on the show. And we, we, we did the whole show to everyone and they were well up for it. And we finished it and Holy it was amazing. Shit. And we came off and everybody got, we had shots and they put on rage against the machine, like on the jukebox. Uh, and we were like, fuck. And, and that's still probably one of my favorite, but like we, it was so many red, red flags. Like We, said, we were like, this is, this is going to be absolutely horrendous. Um, but yeah, it turned into like an absolute blast. Um, but 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 because it's you, you, it's just so exhilarating trying to work out how you can make it so everyone has a good time. You know how everyone can can get something out of it. Um, and it's not it's not nor it's not normally that hard. But like I think, just like you say, like the ability to just stick with a gig and not preemptively get pissed off with the audience to try and protect your heart, basically. To not just go, well, fuck you guys, as a way of sort of taking your feelings of worry out of it. If you can just stick with it and, like, sort of, like, gamely turn up to it, occasionally, occasionally it will, occasionally it turns around. Like, not often, but, like, when it does, I mean, it sounds like you guys you'd really like you became their heroes because you genuinely you genuinely stuck with it i mean that's amazing it was it was probably it was one of the coolest gigs i've had like in in the sense that it was not i mean it was it wasn't that big i think there's probably about what 70 people like it wasn't like rat it wasn't it was quite a smallish kind of pub thing with a with a small stage at the end it was enough people it was enough people for it to feel like uh, intimidating um but um yeah, like in in normal life, if there's seventy people who are angry with you in a metal bar, like you're like you're in deep shit, right? <laughs> yeah, but it was cool. Um, and um, yeah, so I I don't know, like I we we, we both had bad gigs, and we'll, we'll both. I mean, I think we have, have less, like way less now, but like it's still they they still can happen. <laughs> um, but I think. You need them, otherwise there would be no exhilaration, would there? And you, and if you didn't have them, it's like teaching. You wouldn't develop the skills to to get over it. You 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 got to you got to have a lot of bad stuff happen, <laughs> um, and you've got to expect that there'll still be bad stuff, because um, otherwise it yeah it wouldn't. Um... The only the only ones I feel genuinely genuinely bad about are the ones where I've I didn't put the effort in. Where I was a bit shit, where like if I if I was yeah. a bit lazy, tech things wind really me up. Do you know what I mean? Like if if if, if yeah. the tech doesn't work, uh, uh, that's really gutting. Do you know that that I find that really frustrating. Or yeah, like you said, like 
if if something goes wrong, if you forget something or you make some kind of big um, mistake. But um, but I just love it. I I, I really do, and I and I, I I love seeing live stuff still as well. I, I I'm I'm excited about when when the lockdown's over, going out and 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 seeing more things. It's just fun. So I I yeah, obviously at the time of recording, um, live stuff is. Uh is not is not happening um face to face but if people want to um find you and your work online mark where's the best places for them to um go? i guess uh like my, my website markgrist.com uh feel free to hop over there like send me a, an email if you if you got anything you want to chat about really happy to chat about writing and performance um also my artist page is facebook.com forward slash at monte gristo um i'm at the moment i'm i'm delivering free uh, creative writing workshops on Wednesday mornings uh, to key stage one to four uh, students, which is great. I'm really enjoying that. Uh, I think I might even carry that on after the lockdown finishes, to be honest. Um, uh, I'm really enjoying that connection with an audience because they write things that come up on my laptop as I'm delivering the live stream feed and I can share what they've written up on the screen and we can all have a laugh at it um and I'm finding that really that sounds yeah oh man it's really exhilarating and really fun you can ask a question like what's a big problem that you want to solve and they'll put like you know um my brother's smelly and stuff like that you like loads of random weird stuff that they come up with and um I'm really enjoying that so uh yeah I think I'll, I'll carry on mucking about with that but yeah um otherwise um uh at Monte Cristo on Twitter um but um yeah, it's cool. I'll put link. I'll put links to all of those in the um, show notes of today's episode. So if you're listening to this, um, you can just go in the show notes and find links to all of those things as well. Cool. Um, thanks very much for uh, coming and chatting, Mark. It's been uh, been <laughs> been really really fun, and it's made me um, not nostalgic in a good way. Oh for, man, uh, yeah. The, for going on the stage chores. And, we yeah, the just, things that we. We, I mean, we could talk for hours about the the weird gigs we've had. I'm sure, but um, yeah, I kind of love shit gigs though. I, d- I tell you what, you're talking about it. I do. I mean, I certainly certainly it does make you you just do a gig with like 30 people who get it somewhere weird, and you're just like, this is heaven. Like this is amazing. I never feel like, oh, I'm in the arse end of nowhere. If you go somewhere and there's just like a few people who are enjoying yourself, I'm like, this is great. Yeah this is this is i'm i'm i've made it like i always feel yeah it's good isn't it it's good um cool right cheers very much cheers very much mark thank you very much for coming Tim, on the you're, you're very very welcome um yeah and, and let's catch up soon and and everybody else uh listening uh thanks very much for listening and i hope you have a wonderful week of writing <laughs>